Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Unbreakable with Jay Glazer, a mental health podcast, helping you out of the gray and into the blue. Now... Here's Jay Glazer. Welcome back to Unbreakable, a mental health podcast with Jay Glazer. I'm Jay Glazer, and let's call this the NFL Draft Edition of Unbreakable. And obviously the draft this week, and who better to have on than my dude from Fox Sports, working for the NFL Network this week as well, Joel Klatt. And Joel's on here for a couple reasons. One, to give us our draft information. But number two, he has a story that most people don't know. Joel lives a sober life, and the world doesn't know it, and I think it surprises people when I tell them that. So he's yeah. going to talk to us about that as well. So, Joel Clatt, welcome to the show, brother. Man, I'm I'm so happy to be here. Uh, so good to be with you, man. Uh, <laughs> there's no doubt. So, and, and this is, by the way, so little background. Yeah. Jay and I don't get to work a lot together, even though we're in the kind of the under the same roof. This is the week that we get to yeah. like really dive in and work together, which is always exciting for me. And for years, you and I hosted the first round of Fox Sports Radio until you kind of better deal with us for NFL Network. Let's just call it out. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> I, I can't lie about it. That's, that, but we still get to hash it out and go through all of our pre-draft process. The only downside about getting to do what I do now, which is like go and, and work on television uh, on on the set, is that I don't get to see Jay basically – I guess lack of a better term, like orchestrating the first round. I mean, you Jay has all the information five minutes before anybody else does. And to sit there next to him and to see that and to see the connections and, and everything going on with the first round, that's what I miss. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. Look, for people out there, you know, and I write it in, in my book, Unbreakable, I talk about relationships, right? Everything's relationship-based. Mm-hmm. And these guys literally tell me who they're going to take days out or the day of or, you know, 10 minutes out or whatever. And I don't tip picks, right? We don't, I don't do that because I realize the fans don't like that. But Joel will sit in the room. We have a doubt. Joel will sit in the room with me and I'll talk on the phone. And I ask every time a GM or head coach calls, I have the same intro, right? Yeah. What do I normally say? Well, basically just who do you like? You know, no, or, but it's normally or like, it's, hey, fucko, how yeah, we doing, exactly. right? <laughs> and the first time I didn't I did, want to it, say so it, like, I didn't right. want to say it. I was like, I was like, well, I know exactly how you intro, but I didn't know you, if I wanted to say it here. <laughs> right. Hey, Dickhead, how we doing? And you're like, that's, that's you're exactly talking right. to these guys. Yes, exactly absolutely. Right. Just got to be real. Got to be authentic. So we've been doing this for a long time. And then, look, people may also 
Um, so what, Joel Platt, what, what makes him such a college football draft guru? Tell us your background mm-hmm. there at, at uh, Colorado. Well, so my background's a little bit unique. Um, in the sense that out of high school, I actually played baseball and, and it was my better sport. And so I was drafted Jay to play minor league baseball and decided to go do I that. I hope San Diego Padres uh-huh. and, um, went and did that for about three seasons and it was not going well. And for reasons that I'll talk about later, actually, when we talk about just like the mental health aspect, uh-huh. the, the alcoholism I dealt with. And so I decided like, man, I got to. I got to do something. I got to change my life. And so I made a life decision, not a sports decision and went back and said, I need to go get a degree. Decided to go back to the University of Colorado. Only then did I decide like, I guess I'll walk on because I have eligibility. I played football in high school. You know, that would be cool. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, found myself, you know, starting for three years. And so everything from that point on in my life has been icing on the cake. And, and really, to be honest with you, I think it's the, it's the reward for good decisions, yeah. to be honest, you know, and, and so then to get into the draft. So then I wait, started. Wait, wait, reading, but, but it's pretty amazing. You took off three years, walked on, and it took you what, one year then to start for the next three? That's pretty yeah, freaking amazing. I started amazing. as a sophomore. It's unreal. And so get this. My dad was my high school football coach and he's a former Marine, right? Like he was in Vietnam. He was the first lieutenant of our artillery division. Wow. And yes. And so he made it known like, you're not going to start at quarterback until you're a senior. And I would be like, well, I'd be like, really? Like, come on. You know, like I, I would like to get recruited. And he's just like, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm not going to play you over anybody that's older. So I started, <laughs> I started one year of high school football as a quarterback and three years as a quarterback in college. <laughs> so I started more at Colorado than I did at Pomona High School in Arvada, oh Colorado. For you my ever dad. go back and say, Dad, you really screwed this yes, one Yes, all right? the time. <laughs> all the time. And he always says to Jay, he says the same thing. He's, he's just like, well, it worked out for you, didn't it? And I'm like, you're right. All right, you're right. You were part of a bounty. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So if you go back to early 2000s, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, we played University of Miami in a non-conference game at their place in September of 05. And this was, by the way, it was fairly close to when Katrina was coming in the Gulf that fall of 05. But I digress. What ends up happening is we play Miami. Years later, there's an article in Yahoo News talking about Bounty Gate, you know, how Nevin Shapiro, mm-hmm. the booster at the University of Miami, was paying guys like John Beeson and Brandon Merriweather and all these guys bounties on opponents' head. And lo and behold, in the article, it's like Joel Klatt, quarterback at Colorado, you know, John Beeson basically knocked him out of the game and got $500. And I was like, yes, I made it. Like, I had a bounty. <laughs> but then, Jay... I was so proud, right? I was so proud. But here's the worst part about it is that later in the article, I realized that Chris Ricks, the Florida State quarterback, had a $1,000 bounty. So I'm like, I didn't even have the best bounty. So it like brought me down a little bit. Well, you were pissed that they had a bounty on you? Did they knock you out? Out? Almost. Yes. I mean, listen, I got concussed in that game. I I ended up getting a turf toe injury in that game. And then there's this actually, you can Google this, uh, by the way. Just Google Clack gets blown up. Okay. And, and it's the, it's the play against Miami in which John Beeson basically suplexes me. I'm chasing down a guy who had recovered a fumble and I'm trying to chase him down and tackle him before he scores. And I look back like this and Beeson just like lifts me up from oh, under man. my arm. And all of a sudden I'm on his shoulder and then I'm hitting the ground and rolling. 
And and Shapiro paid him five hundred bucks for that. Oh my god! Did you ever talk to John Beeson? I've never talked to him about really? it. Really? No. Uh-uh. Good dude. I'm, I'm sure. Except when he's playing and against by the way, him. I'm, I'm, no, hey, good for him. I'm like, I wish he would have gotten collected several times. <laughs> That's incredible. All right, let's dive into the draft a little bit here before we go to some more of your story. Give me the five players you think are can't miss. Oh, that's a good a good question. Let me start with this. I think it's a good draft, not a great draft. That's what I started, um, you know, when we sur- first talked about this. Do you, do you think it's not great because the NIL, more people or players decide now to stay in because they get paid in college instead of coming um, out to get paid? Not necessarily. I actually right. think it's it's more just they, they got caught in, in a cycle where you had, let's put it this way, there's guys that have to stay in college football this year that would all be the best player at their position right. in Marvin this Marvin Harrison and Caleb Mar- Williams. And, yeah. yeah, that's right. Even a guy like Drake May, the quarterback in North mm-hmm. Carolina, Brock Bowers, the tight end at Georgia. And so that makes it, you know, just the depth isn't quite there. So there's probably 15 to 18 guys that are like true bona fide first-round guys. But I do think that there are five guys that are stars in this draft. Right. And so here, here's the five names that I will give you. And, and the three names that all the teams would probably give you would be Bryce Young, Bijan Robinson, and Jalen Carter. Those three really? guys are probably the the best players in the draft. Now, players, players in in the draft. Talent wise, talent. That's exactly right. There are some questions about Jalen Carter sure. because of off the field stuff. Showed up mm-hmm. to his pro day out of shape. Things that you know, I'm sure. And that's they're... that's a huge problem for, for me. Like if you know, I wasn't the combine because of a legal issue. How are you not busting your ass to make sure when you go to your pro day, that's right. you're in great shape, right? That's right. And that's going to remove him from a lot of teams' boards altogether. Now, it only takes one to to say, like, that doesn't matter to us and we'll take you. And his talent is is off the charts. He, he can be a dominant force as a defensive tackle. Bijan Robinson's the best running back in the draft. He's the best non-quarterback offensive player in the draft. I covered him a lot. Love Bijan. What I love about him, Jay, is that he produced at a really high level with a bad offensive line and never said boo about it. Catches it well out of the backfield, almost McCaffrey-esque in terms of his ability to catch it out of the backfield, home run hitter on the outside. And then Bryce Young, the quarterback at Alabama. I think, I think Bryce is, I get it. He's short, right? He's five, 10, maybe 11. And that's a problem. And I'm not saying that it's not, Fucking but when you watch five, 11, <laughs> I was going to say, Oh man, one man's problem is another uh, dream. He is so smart. Really smart guy. Processes information incredibly fast on the field. He's in total control. He plays with a calm, slow heartbeat. He's really accurate. And then when his best is needed, see, great players, I've always said, like, the mark of a great player is that can you be great when greatness is needed? There are guys that can fill the stat sheet, you know, when it's just like games out of, out of hand or, but when, when the chips are in the middle of the table, what do you do as a player? Well, this guy played his best when the chips were in the middle of the table. That's why I like him. A couple of other guys that I would just throw out there. Will Anderson. Love Will Anderson. The uh, edge player from Alabama, edge rusher from Alabama. He's a true alpha that would run the practice. Even with the whole all the structure at Alabama, this is the type of guy that would like stop practice, kick a guy off the field. I mean, Nick Saban's in there. He's the greatest coach in the history of the sport, and Will Anderson would take it upon himself to do things like that. I love that, right? Kick a guy out of practice for for fucking around? Yeah. You know, maybe it's um, a missed assignment that Mm. is just a a bonehead, knucklehead, 
I know you didn't prepare. I know you haven't watched film. Get out of here. Yeah. You know? And so he's a standard ho- holder, which I really love. And then I would say maybe the, the, the last guy is not a can't miss. So I'm going to, I'm going to stray from your original question, but the most intriguing is Anthony Richardson, this quarterback from Florida, just because of his high end potential. If Richardson were to ever develop into an efficient passer, his athleticism would then make him the most dangerous player on the field. You know, so. But that's a huge if. So uh, like, totally. let's say you have a top five pick. You're putting a huge risk into an if a guy to become a really accurate passer. And the only way for him to really do that is to give him a bunch of reps, but you yeah. can't give him reps in the first year or two. Yeah. And that's, that's a difficult proposition for Richardson because he really only played one year. So he really only has Jay just under 400 passing attempts in college. And, you know, I've done this whole long deep dive. I'm a spreadsheet guy. So right. I, I'm such a nerd. So I've got this spreadsheet of, of all the quarterbacks since Brady won his first Super Bowl, Jay. I've got a list of all the quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls. And what I did is I went back and I said, give me cumulative what their numbers were in their college careers, not the NFL, but their college career. So what were they coming out just from an experience standpoint? And here's what you see is that most guys that go on to win Super Bowls, on average, they've started over 30 games, attempted close to a 1,000 passes, completed close to 700 passes, and have somewhere over 50 touchdowns in their career in college football. So when a guy comes out and he's really only played for a year and he's attempted less than 400 passes, mm-hmm. it's a big if, right? This was the whole problem that guys like I had with, with Trey Lance, and that's kind of bearing out in San Francisco. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's a couple of guys I like for can't miss. Love Nolan Smith. Love. Oh, him. yeah. Georgia. I, yes. Love him. Love. I, I just think he is, again, you talk about that alpha, that leader. And, you know, right when Jalen Carter kind of during his pro day it was Nolan Smith who's trying to prop him up. And I, I just love what he could bring to the table. Christian Gonzalez was like, man, he looks perfect for a, a corner, right? And it looked like he was number one bona fide. Now, Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. When you talk to teams, they're kind of, he's really kind of shot up. It's kind of split him now, which wasn't the case about a week or so ago. And just so people understand, okay? And Joel could, could attest this. So I don't do a mock draft, right? Because when teams tell me, Hey, Glaze, this is who we're taking, but you can't tell people. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to the world and put down a name I know isn't going there, <laughs> right? And Joel knows they tell me, you know, days out, I can't betray anybody's trust. So I don't do a mock draft. But the other thing, too, is everybody who does mock drafts, gang, these people don't know what the fuck they're doing. They don't, like these teams, don't know what the fuck they're doing. Literally until this week and sometimes until the day of or the day before, yeah. like everybody thinks, oh, man, after the combine, these things are set or after these these workouts and meet it, and it's just not the case. So what happens is teams go in, they start setting their board. They really don't have a set until kind of last week, let's say. And then they, this week, they put themselves through mock drafts, so several. So once they have these mock drafts, then they start to mess with their board again. And I've been in war rooms. I've been in there before. And I've seen how much, you know, things could could move around. I'll give mm-hmm. you a great story or two, gang. Where the Dallas Cowboys were set to draft Sean Merriman. And we're all set. And all of a sudden, I get a call from some of the Cowboys back then saying, hey, um, we're kind of hearing certain things. Can you check this out, this and that? And said, yeah, I'll hear Sure. Uh, oh, no, they said, have you heard this? I said, I haven't heard this. No. They said, yeah, we may be uh, flopping over to DeMarcus Ware. I said, okay, so this was the night before the draft. And then later on that night, I said, forget what we said. We're sticking with Sean Merriman. The next morning, we wake up, and they said, we switched. Switch over to DeMarcus Ware. So they were all set to take Sean Merriman the day of the draft and then switched it the day of the draft. Now, obviously, it worked out pretty damn well for the Dallas Cowboys. I was going to say. just so you know, that's how much these teams do flip toward the end. And, like, I've talked to teams right now talk about Jalen Carter who tell me, we're probably not going to know we're really, really going to think about him until the night before the draft. That's when we're going to dive in more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's so fascinating. And this one's interesting because I don't think that this is really all that set in stone after yeah. Carolina takes, I think it we all not. anticipate, yeah. anticipate them taking Bryce Young. And then after that, you know, Houston's a bit of a wild card. Um, we're hearing that CJ Stroud might slide a little bit. He's a guy that I spent right. a lot of time around. Why, why is he career. sliding? Do you think? And what do you think of CJ? Well, those are two different things, right? Like, uh, 
Yeah. So, so let's, I let's, like Stroud yes. a lot. Um, I've been around him more than anybody else in this whole process. Right. And I've done eight of his games. I saw his third practice in his first spring as a starter. I saw his first start. I saw his second to last game. I've seen the guy grow up in college. I'm very close with Ryan Day. Right. Like, I know that Ryan is a little higher on C.J. Stroud at this point going into the draft than he was for either Dwayne Haskins or Justin Fields. He thinks that C.J. is more ready um, from a schematic standpoint. His his arm talent is undeniable. Yes, uh, It's there. Makes and he every throws, throw. Absolutely. Makes every throw. He's accurate. Opposing defensive coordinators, they would marvel at his ability to understand what coverage you're in and then attack it. And that's not what you're hearing now. Right. This smoke screen being thrown up, maybe it's a smoke screen from Houston trying to signal to people that they're not definitely going to take him so and that that pick might be available. Yeah. Why don't you come on up and, and get him? Mm-hmm. So because of that, there's, there's this smoke about Bryce Young. Then the S2 cognitive test score starts to get leaked out there. And now everyone's thinking to themselves like, well, now you can't take CJ Stroud because of this cognitive test. And I'm not going to sit here and bash the S2 test. I don't know a lot about it, to be quite frank with you. I've never taken the S2 test. I know that it got its genesis in baseball. It was really a, a test for hitters um, to see how fast they can process and recognize pitches. Hmm. And then it moved over to the NFL about seven years ago, Jay. And it's a this seri- is the first year we're hearing about it. We never heard about it, it is. before. It is, but it's been it's been going on for about seven years in, in the league in this process. Um, from the time like the first teams adopted it, it, it till now, I'm hearing that there's about half the league. You might know, you'd probably know better than I do. Maybe it's more than that. There are some people that really like it. Here's the argument is that we've seen guys have great scores on the S2 and not do well in the NFL. But what we haven't seen is a guy not do well on the S2 and then succeed in the league. So they feel like it is a red flag. Some some people do. Now, here's what I'll say. It's a test that asks a series of, of uh, it's not a question-based test, but more of a picture-based test. So, for example, here's a, here, it might give you a series of nine pictures that flash on the screen. Okay, It's kind of a virtual test that you're taking, almost like a video game. And you'll get a series of nine pictures. And then the question will come up and say, like, what was the third picture? What was the fifth picture? What was the seventh picture? And how quickly you can answer those is measuring your, quote, cognitive ability. It'll give you a series of words like blue, red, yellow, and the 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 color of those words will be different than what the color of the word is, right? So the word blue will be red. And how quickly can you, you know, touch the red button? saying like that color is red. And so it's a series of all of this and it's measuring how quick down to milliseconds you react. Okay. You know what else I think is being held against him a little bit? We were talking about how great his, his arm is and how accurate he is. And, and, you know, he can make every throw no matter where it is in the field, but because his receivers are so great, mm. you think it's getting held against him a little bit? Like, well, they're always, I open. think so. Like he's, he's always throwing open people, but that, you know, it, it's kind of, yes, they are always open. Right. So it's not like, well, he's had a thread defenders for, but they're almost holding that against him and they're not taking their cap. When look, his workouts, he's been phenomenal for yeah. He throws it as well as anybody. I've heard, I've had a couple of teams say like his combine 
work out throwing the ball was as as good as they've seen. And what is he supposed to do? His guys are open, and then he hits them. You know, I mean that that's the offense he's in. Obviously, he had great wide receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr. being one of them, Jackson Smith and Jigba, a guy who's in this draft, was one of them a couple of years ago. And then he threw to a couple of guys in his first year as a starter who really did well in the NFL last year, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. So yeah, that's all being held against him. I, I will say this: this test, this S two test, is asking me to not believe my eyes when I watch the film and I watch him process information quickly and choose trajectories and and different velocities and do all the things that this test is trying to tell me he doesn't do well, and he is doing them well. So, you know, am I going to put a lot of stock into it? No. Do I think he should be taken with the second overall pick? Yes. Is it going to be Houston? I'm not sure. So let me tell you a receiver that I love. You tell me where you have him. Love Zay Flowers. Oh, yes. I love right. Zay Flowers. Love his speed, love his makeup, love his competitiveness. Yes. Now, it's it's a draft for wide receivers, Jay, that is, well, it's two ends of the spectrum. You have guys that are definitely outside receivers and then definitely right. slot receivers. And Zay is one of these slot receivers, along with guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jordan Addison. Zay is a guy that I love. Listen, I've loved his, his story for a long time, even when I was just you know covering him from afar in college football. He's the 11th of 14 kids. 14 wow. kids, right? Unfortunately, he lost his mother back in 2005. She passed away. He was raised largely by his dad. He has lost a sibling, one of his brothers, to gun violence. Hmm. Like So he's been, yeah, through been through a lot. Right. Goes to Boston College. Wasn't recruited all that highly. But again, I mean, he's he's one of 14 yeah. kids, right? It's not like he's going to go to all these camps and be highly recruited. Right. He goes to Boston College. Well, he's good enough especially with the transfer portal and NIL name, image, and likeness, he could have gone anywhere in the country for some hefty money, and he stayed at Boston College. He's a loyal guy. What, a 3-1 team? It wasn't much. That's exactly what he said. Like, he could have gone somewhere else to a winning program and said, no, I'm going to be loyal and stick to these guys. That, for me, is that's the makeup of somebody. And and Jeff Halfley, his head coach, would say, like, Zay would be out there down two scores, blocking his butt off on run plays. Tears in his eyes after the game, after losses every single week because he cared so much. That's the type of guy you want in your right. locker room. Tell me somebody you love that will go from 10 to 20, and then I want you to tell me somebody you love that will go from 20 to 31. Okay. Let's see. A guy that I really love that I think is in that 10 to 20 is Dalton Kincaid, the tight end oh, yeah. from Utah. Oh, yeah. Um, he's a really good player, and he might even go higher than that. I, yeah. I, I doubt it, but there's talk right now. Some teams really love Dalton Kincaid. He was a basketball player mainly growing up, and admittedly so. I think that's why people shied away from him in recruiting, which is why he ended up at San Diego. Not San Diego State, but like the, you know, the Jim Harbaugh San Diego right, right, right. team. And then he transferred to Utah, and he was the most productive tight end in the country last year. Good flex basketball on grass uh, style player. So I like him 10 to 20. He's, he's one of my favorites. And then 20 to like 31. Oh, that's a great question. Okay, I got I got one. Brian Branch, the safety from mm-hmm. Alabama. He's one of my favorite players in this Make draft. Patrick-esque. Absolutely. Right? Not, really not same smart. Guy. Not same guy, but yeah. Really smart play. They played the same position at Alabama, kind of that star safety position. Right. So he can cover nickel in the slot. He can play down if they need to uh, against the run. He can play the post safety, and he's smart. I mean, really smart. Some of the coaches on that staff said to me they won't be shocked if he knows the defense better than some of the veterans in camp, like right away, because he's that smart. He understands the game. So I'll go with Brian Branch. What do we think of Hendon Hooker? I like Hendon Hooker. He's just old. 
I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, but but it shouldn't matter. Hey, from a guy who missed three years, right, and uh, came back and started after one year away, right? I don't think the quarterback position matters as much if you're coming in at 25 or 26 because these guys are playing. If you get 10 years out of them, which you can, yeah, like it's worth it. Yeah, in this day and age, you know, the way quarterbacks are protected, you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. It's not as big of a deal. I mean, look at Brady didn't really even become a starter until he was, you know, a little older, if you will. So here's the deal of, for, for Hendon Hooker. This guy was in the same recruiting class as Tua, right? Just to give you a sense of like this gap because of the COVID year and some injury issues, it's taken him a while to get on the field. He transfers from Virginia Tech, goes to Tennessee. And then he's in this offense that is kind of wide receiver centric. And he's asked to make post-snap downfield reads based on what the wide receiver is going to do because it's a choice route on the outside. And he's throwing the ball down the field, Jay, right? Like these are not short routes. And yet he set a completion percentage record at the University of Tennessee, right? Like that's not a small accomplishment to throw the ball that well down the field. I really love his makeup. He's a good leader. I think that he's a guy that can have success. And I know he's going to have to heal up after this ACL surgery. He tore his ACL. He could have won the Heisman, right. you know, if he would have so stayed won, on the field. If he wins the Heisman, where do we think? Never tore his ACL. He ends up winning the Heisman. Where do we think we're talking about him getting picked? I would guess that we would be talking about him 15 to 20. Now, still, like, really? is he going to sneak into the, the first round? Really? So yeah. you think he'd still go down there? I think if he won the Heisman, I think he'd. I don't know. I think he would have been kind of more of, more of a bona fide top. Do guy. teams really like him? I would imagine that they really like him. Makeup wise, yeah. 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 But it's the same thing. Like, you know, Tennessee's offense is really not conducive to the NFL, but man, his kind of work ethic, you think he's going to work himself into it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I like one of the things he said. He said, yeah, I'm older. That makes me more of a leader. That's right. right? Use it to I, your advantage. I can be more mature. Yeah. That's right. And he is. Um, and he is. A couple other guys I really like. You have him 30 and 31. Elijah Cansey, mm-hmm. maybe because he's short, but I love him. But I think he's, again, Aaron Donald. Look, I do hate that we do that, but he is comparable, right? He's went to the same school, short guy, but he's relentless, right? He is so relentless and great work ethic. And, man, I just think that he's going to he's gonna come in with a chip, and I just think he's going to wreak havoc. I, I love the fact that he's so productive. You right. rarely get these guys on the interior of the defensive line that can produce like Aaron Donald has produced, right? And so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of, of similarities because of their college right. uh, team. And height, yeah. And, and height, by the way. And, and, and Aaron Donald's not 300 pounds, you know, or at least wasn't when he was coming out right. of pit. This guy, Cansey, runs a four six seven in the 40. Like, he's fast. He's right. lateral. And and he's played, I think he played 30, I want to say 38 games or 37 games at Pitt. And he had 38 tackles for loss. So almost a tackle for loss per game from the interior. Like, he's a disruptive guy. First unanimous All-American at Pitt since Aaron Donald. I really like him. And I've, I've, I'm looking at the Lions, by the way, that second pick in the first round. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Lions might take a swing take at Kansas Carter. If they don't take Jalen Carter, that's there, exactly right. right. Which I, I think but, the Seahawks that, might take you know, Jalen Carter. But even that, you got to look at it and go, man, the troubles that the Lions just had, will that affect? They lost Jamison Williams, right? They're one from last year. That's right. Well, does that now affect how they go in this draft saying, we have to make sure we get guys who are so incredibly clean. That's we right. We can't have a problem. Well, and and in particular, I still think like Jalen is a wild card. I think he fits better in Seattle because of Pete than Detroit because of what they just went through. 
both teams could use could use him and i just get the sense that that Pete believes in himself and his culture mm-hmm. and that he could bring a guy like Jalen yeah. in and not fix him but at least create an environment where Jalen can flourish it's one of the things that's great about Pete is he does believe he can kind of resurrect everybody or or or, or get the, the best version of people i think that's no the college coach he's, he's he's the ultimate opt- optimist yeah yes the other guy you have him next 31 and there's a lot of edge rushers in this draft a lot mm-hmm. i like him higher than 31 that's will mcdonald from from iowa state so i'm so fascinated to see how fast edge rushers come off the board because right. i could see a scenario where Will is not drafted in the first round. I could see a scenario where he is drafted in the first round, depending on how fast some of these other guys that are maybe above him get taken. Now, he's he's a late bloomer. He didn't really play football until he was a junior in high school. So he's kind of lightly recruited. He goes to Iowa State, and every single year he gets better and better and better until 2021 he has 11 and a half sacks. You know, like the, the guy was dominant. Now, his production dipped off just a little bit this last year. That's because they had a weird fucking scheme that didn't fit him. It, the scheme didn't really fit him. And, and then also, Jay, I would just say, similar to Will Anderson, everybody focused their their entire protection plan on Will McDonald, who faced Iowa State, very similar to Alabama. Right. Why did Will Anderson's production go down? Well, they rotated him a little bit more. His percentage of pressures stayed high in terms of the snaps he was on the field, but the protection plan was generally focused on him from the opponent. Right. Anybody else you want to talk about before we shift to your story? Oh man, that's a, that's a great. I mean, there's always so many guys, right? And, and there, there'll be guys that, yeah, they start going up and up and up. This, again, I can't stress this enough to people who are listening. These next 72 hours, guys move dramatically. Yeah. Dramatically. Here's one. My last one. One of my favorites, Zach Charbonnet, the running back at UCLA. Yes. Love Zach Charbonnet. He's not going to get taken in the first round. He's a grown get ass take, man. Yes. He's he's a grown man. He'll get selected on day two, second or third round, I think. And he's going to make somebody better. He is he's he's a quiet guy, but a strong leader. Transferred from Michigan back to his hometown. He played at Oaks Christian in high school up in the valley and in transferred California. back. Yep. Yep. In California and transferred back to play at UCLA in large part because his sister Bella has Williams syndrome which is a developmental disorder, but she is high energy, special needs, and Zach wanted to be around her, near her, and help her. And so he comes back to UCLA after leading the team in rushing as a true freshman for the Michigan Wolverines, come to UCLA, he's got back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. He's just a man, like understands responsibility. He's tough, he's big, he's physical, he's good on the field. I... I love Zach Charbonnet. Is there anybody in the top 10 that you know you think will go top 10? You're like, yeah, I wouldn't touch him. Or I, I'm just not as high on him as everybody else. I mean, that, so for me, that's, that's Jalen Carter, right? If I'm a decision maker, I would be one of the guys that didn't have Jalen Carter on the board. Juice is not worth the squeeze, uh, to me. So that, that would be it. Right. Other than that, like, there's a lot of really good, good leaders, good players. You brought up Nolan Smith. I love him. Michael Mayer, the tight end. I love him. Jordan Addison. I love him. Like, there's a lot of guys that I really like in this draft. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. 
A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think it's a good draft. Too. I think, man, the value in this draft in the second round is phenomenal. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Which is why I think once we get to like 15, Jay, yeah. 16, 17, you're going to, I think teams are going to use the entire clock trying to trade out. At the same right, though, again, because there are certain guys that, oh man, I'll kind of fall in love with these guys. We have them in the top 15. And I think you'll start seeing guys try to move up. If they're in the, all of a sudden those players are down in the twenties. Mm, that'll be so interesting. I, I think you'll have a lot of, a lot of action. All right. So again, a lot of people don't know about Joel. I do. So the other thing we do when Joel comes out and, you know, we'll sit in a hotel room, I'll make all my phone calls and he'll make his calls is I usually crack open a bottle of wine and Joel never, ever, 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 ever partook. And one day I said, Hey, do you? And he said, no, I'm a sober guy. And I said, really? Why? So, and when I've, Told other people about it because you're cool with me telling them. They're shocked about it. So, you know, again, this is your story. It is a mental health podcast also. This this is is part of it. So I, I want you to tell your story. How you want it told. Let me give you the shortest version, and then I'll go in and, and get back to The shortest version is that I am sober because I was way too good at drinking. So the first step, as as 
anyone will say is, is recognizing and realizing that you have a problem. And so when I, you know, think back on my story, you know, the, the, the first domino for me was recognizing that I was an alcoholic, you know, and, and putting that label on it. So let me go back to one of the things that we first talked about, which was the fact that I, I played minor league baseball and I wasn't ready or mature enough for that, Jay, because I was all of a sudden given a, a good signing bonus. And then all of a sudden, two weeks after my high school graduation, I'm, I'm living in a hotel in Phoenix playing minor league baseball with all the freedom in the world. There are not the, the structures of college athletics at that point. It's like Van leaves at 6 a.m. You know, early work is at 645. And other than that, it's like, do whatever you want. Well, that environment was not conducive for me. And when you throw onto that, that for the first time in my life, I started to struggle as an athlete, right? All of a sudden I had been this very good and successful high school athlete and my, and you know, youth athlete. And then all of a sudden you get out there with a wood bat, guys are, are throwing the ball harder, breaking balls are breaking harder. And I'm not hitting 500 anymore. Now I'm struggling to hit 200 or 250. And so my identity at that point, which was wrapped up in my success as an athlete, was being challenged. I numbed that pain with alcohol. Did you and drink in high school? Did you start? I, I did uh, in high school, and, and it became a bigger issue as, as I got okay. later into high school, but then definitely in minor league baseball is when it became right. a big issue. And it started to be, rather than just in, you know, in high school, I would, I would do it socially on the weekends and kind of with your buddies and at, at parties. And then all of a sudden it turned into something that became more of a coping mechanism and, and a numbing mechanism. And that's the transition that ended up, you know, sending me in a, in a pretty, or direction for a number of years. And so what ends up happening, Jay, in my story is that, you know, I end up leaving baseball in part because of the amount I'm drinking. I try to curb it. I go back and I start to play football and it's, and it's pretty good for a good stretch. Now, it's not that I was totally sober, but it wasn't controlling me and I wasn't using it as a coping mechanism. I end up meeting my wife in college and we end up getting married. And then what ends up happening is very similar to the instance when I started losing my identity in minor league baseball early is football ends. And now I'm released from the Detroit Lions after being released from the Saints. And now I'm released from the Lions. And now I'm sitting at home. And now for the first time in my life, I'm just not an athlete at all. And no structure for the first time. I have no structure for the first time. And I was totally lost. Hmm. And it was a dark, dark moment in my life. I got chills you talking about this. And, you know, I grew up inside of a Christian home and we had been to church, you know, almost every Sunday of my life up until I went to minor league baseball and it never really took root, you know? And so Jay, I didn't understand how to have my identity in something bigger than one myself or the things that I was doing. And so all of a sudden I was just covered in this dome of darkness. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to define myself. I didn't know how to define myself as successful. I was just incredibly depressed. And that coping mechanism came right back like a freight train. And the only way that I could feel good or happy was to numb myself with with alcohol. And so at that moment, I would become gregarious again and and the life of the party. And I would think that people liked that version of me versus the version of me that was just kind of depressed and and aimless in terms of of what I was going on. So I was 
I was marred in, in depression and never addressed it. And so it became really the only area of my marriage with Sarah that was contentious was the fact that I would just continue to drink, you know, and continue to drink. She hated it, obviously. And it wasn't until, you know, basically seven years into the marriage then, and about six years after I'm done playing football, where we get pregnant with our, our first kid. And so Henry is on the way. And Jay, I had one of those moments where you've got to hit rock bottom. And she was in pharmaceutical sales at the time. It's a little bit hard to tell the story, but I'm, I'm going to do it because I love you. And, and I love what you do for people on this it. podcast. I'm choked up. Listen to it, man. Cause you know, this um, is, this is what, you know, brotherhoods are. This is what bonds are, man. And, and also for us to be of service is what it's about, right? This gets us through that stuff. I appreciate it. So she, um, had a dinner with some doctors and I was doing local radio trying to make it in this business. And I had an afternoon show at the time. And so I needed to get dinner on my own, not really thinking anything of it. I just decided to stop at a local restaurant. I think it was a Fleming's. It was a Fleming's like a steakhouse and there's Fleming's kind of all over. And it was happy hour still at the time. And I thought to myself, like, man, I'll just get like a burger. It's not like we had a lot of money. Right. So I'm not trying to go in there for a steak or anything. I, I go in there for a burger that like the happy hour burger at the bar. There was someone there that had a a martini and it looked really good. This guy at the end of the bar. And I was like, well, that looks really good. I'm going to have one of those. And my problem was, is that I didn't have a governor because I had used alcohol to numb and to cope. Once I started to drink, there was no drunk that was drunk enough because that's what I felt like ma- gave me meaning and happiness. And so that martini turned into, you know, four hours and well over a $200 bill alone at a Fleming's and driving myself home. Hmm. And she walked in the door, my wife, pregnant with our first child and looked at me and began to cry. And, you know, she said, either this is your last time or someone else is going to raise this boy. Whoa. So I haven't touched it since. Wow. Really? That is amazing. That is amazing on so many levels. A, your inner strength to stop because it's it's hard, right? But your love for her and for your boy is, that's one of the most beautiful things anybody's ever said on the show. That's incredible. I hope you're proud of yourself for that. And, and like- well, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's tough though. You know, like I wow. wish that it never came to that. So it's tough to take pride into something that is painful. I- yeah. But making decisions like that, man, that, that are selfless it's, for other people. It's certainly pride. the best decision other than marrying her, other than accepting Jesus as my savior. Like those are the most important, but that one is very easily one of the, the best decisions that, that I've ever made. It hasn't been easy. You know, it's not like I just woke up and I was just like, Hey, you know, this is great. It it took a lot of time. And what ended up happening, Jay, is that I had to then do the work that I think some are, are unwilling to do on the mental health side. Because Mm -hmm. again, I'll go back to it was a coping mechanism and a numbing mechanism that I thought that I needed because I wouldn't lean in and do the work to actually focus on whether it was my mental health, uh, the depression that I was suffering, my identity, where is my identity? Where do I want my identity? How, 
you know, how am I going to go about this life, you know, without this coping mechanism? And so that's when I started to try to really do and lean into the hard work on the, on the mental side. How long have you been sober for? So it'll be 12 years um, at the start of the football season. So 11 and a half. Does it get easier as time goes on? Certainly. I mean, it it certainly has gotten a lot easier. I, I would say initially they were pretty drastic steps, but, and, and I continue to do so. So for instance, and you never did this to me, which I always thought was you never just would like push, you know, and say like, Hey, you know, here's a drink, but I'm never going to do that to a sober person. No, Are you kidding me? well, well, not, absolutely not. And I'm not saying, but even when you didn't know, so anytime I was ever offered or am offered a drink, I don't say no. I say I don't drink. Right. And that was a big like flag. Yeah. Right. Boundaries yeah. and setting the boundaries. And then if people asked me, why don't you drink? I told them right away. I used to have a problem rather than no, thanks. I'm good, which leaves this question yeah. open ended forever. So, so for instance, the crew that I work with on college football, they know right. now they feel like they're also in on it. Like if they ever saw me with, with a, a cocktail. They would tackle me, you know, so those are the guardrails and boundaries that I've tried to set up is, is to be open and honest when, when people ask me, do you want to drink? And I say, no, no, I don't because I don't drink. This version of you, I hope you realize too, like I can't picture you being the guy with the lampshade on your head on top of the bar being a jagoff. <laughs> this is the only version. This is the version that fits you and suits you. Well, they, thank you. And, and Joel is and the yes. nicest, kindest. Best guy in our business, like man, and everybody who comes across him will say it. it's unanimous. Oh, and man. he's such a sweetheart of a guy. This is who you are. Well, thank you. That's really nice of you to say. And I'll be honest, like it's hard to walk through that story, but I have so much respect for for you and what you're doing right. with this show, right? That that I thought to myself, this. It's been long enough, right? Like your your scars are your scars. And to avoid it because it's uncomfortable for me is selfish. And if even that story that I told helps one person, Absolutely. then it's then it's worth it. And and I I don't care. You know, there are people, Jay, and and I know you know this, that that want to tear people down in this world. And they want to come up and they'll come up to me and they'll be like, You're nothing but an alcoholic. And I'm like, you know what? That that doesn't bother me anymore. That happens, right? It happens on whether it's social really? media. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, I mean, college fans get very, very heated, Jay. <laughs> very heated. It's very tribal in the co- college world. But I would just say, like, if there's one person that identifies with that moment and can avoid a mistake, then it's yes. worth it. Then and it's worth it. I want to just one thing you said. You said our scars are our scars. And I just want to shift that a little bit. Our scars are our currency. Hmm. What we've overcome, the dark tunnels that we go through and come out to the other side, that's what makes us strong. That's what makes us who the fuck we are. That's what makes us gangsters. And every time I've walked in a room, I don't, I don't brag about my successes to myself. Like I don't walk in there and get confidence for my successes. I get confidence from my scars and the things I've been through. Yeah. So I want you to shift that narrative too for you. Your scars are your currency, man. Yeah. Right. This is what yeah, makes you different than everybody else. Totally. And in particular, like knowing that I've done the work and and have a strong identity centered in Jesus Christ now, you know, like 
I'm so confident in that, Jay. And for me, that carries my whole life. I, I don't get up. I don't wake up and go about a single day without having a time to pray, journal, read the word, and just get totally centered on on what I know to be right and true. Give me your big break in this business, because I don't know that. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So it all went pretty fast. I I was doing um after I get released from the Lions during that kind of dark dark period, um I was asked to do some regional high school football games on Fox Sports Rocky Mountain just by a kind of a local, you know. Yep. And and I say, "Okay, I'll I'll do it," but I you know, I was also an investment banker. So I use my economics degree and I'm going into investment banking. I'm working for a small REIT in the in the real estate industry at the time as well. This is 2006. And the broadcasting side, you know, it's going fine. And they were like, yeah, we keep giving you gigs. And they're like, you're really good at this. You should do more. And I'm like, that's fine, but I have a real job. Well, then the real estate market <laughs> tanks and I lose my job as an investment banker. And now I'm, I'm literally just unemployed. And the day I lost my job was the same day that my wife got that pharmaceutical sales job that I was telling you about. And that was definitely, you know, a sign that she was like, Hey, let's try it. Let's go for this broadcasting thing. You can do it. I know you can. So I ended up getting a local, small local radio show, continue to do just small, you know, local and regional, maybe college football studio here and there. But the big break to answer your question, I continued to badger the decision makers to, I love doing games. I love doing games. And so they put me on a couple of college football games on the B level regional package of the big 12. And I was just doing a, a basically a random big 12 game. Basically, uh, I think it was 2009 or 10 when Texas tech was playing at home against Kansas state. And this is under the Fox umbrella for FSN Southwest at the time. And I was doing the game, and lo and behold, I did not know this, but there was a younger but recently elevated president of Fox Sports named Eric Shanks in the executive control room in L.A. watching that game on a screen in front of him. And he's told me that I made a comment on a kickoff about – how a returner's best attribute is decisiveness. And he said, I had never heard that. And I said, who's calling this game? And by the next year, wow. I had I had a national package, a B package for Fox as they got into college football. And then within two years, I had been hosting shows, and they brought me to L.A. to work as a host and a college football analyst, and kind of the rest is history. And by the way, the guy is talking about Eric Shanks, who's our boss at Fox, and Joel and I are talking about mental health. People always been like, oh, weren't you afraid when I came out with my book, Unbreakable, how I turned my depression and anxiety into motivation, you can too. Eric Shank said, I would love for you to go down to the USFL and talk to all those players and coaches mm-hmm. down there, and I'll buy books for every one of them. And I would also love for you to do a company-wide speech, and we'll Zoom it to everybody at Fox also so they could feel included, anybody who's struggling and going through mental health issues. So he's, he's kind of changed both our lives there. And it's, totally. um, and, and I've, I've told everybody, you know, kind of lean into your teammates and that means lean into your coworkers. And at least my experience at work, no one is not only have they not shunned me, they have given me a bigger platform to help others at Fox, mm-hmm. which was a scary thing of, you know, oh man, are they going to go, man, this guy's anxiety attacks every time he comes on Fox. Well, maybe he shouldn't be doing this. You know, instead that's not the way they went. Well, and, and, you know, and I know that you talk about it in, in your book, but like when you find that team, man, yeah. le- lean in. And, no and in particular, the those that 
that wish and hope and will work for the best in your life, you know, versus those that, that won't and will tear and finding those people are really special. You've certainly been one of those in my life. Like I said, I, the only regret is that I wish we could work together more, but this is, <laughs> no you know, this is kind of the moment in, in time and the schedule that we get to do this. And you guys got to understand, I've been doing this now. This, my first draft is 91, but I've been, you know, covering the NFL since 95 or 96. Really on top of the draft for years and years and years. And I don't let anybody hear anything. And Joel will come in there and he'll sit there and man, we'll share everything. And I'm a lone wolf. I'm not ESPN where there's 80 people doing this stuff or NFL network where they all work together. I've always been a lone wolf. It's just kind of me. And then, you know, when I met Joel, I'm like, man, this is, I can finally have somebody else to lean into on stuff. And it's been fantastic. And I'll take Joel's list and I'll bring it to head coaches and GMs with me saying, Hey, this is, this is not my list. It's Joel Klatz. That's who I go off of. And they'll kind of look at him and be like, man, Joel's good. Wow. <laughs> Tell him, right? Joel's got good stuff. And yeah, we won't, uh, we won't go over who those guys are. Um, but it, it's, do you, you, you never cease to impress, uh, these guys with, with your knowledge. And I, you talk about having a great teammates, man, and you are an amazing teammate to me. Thank you, I'm man. I'm proud of you for coming on here and using this platform to help others, man. That's, uh, absolutely. You're a rock star, brother. Again, absolutely. that is Joel Clot. Good luck this week doing the draft for, uh, not with me, which sucks. So, okay, I'm still going to wish you luck. Thank you for this platform. Your platform's amazing. I, I Absolutely. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you, bud. Love you, brother. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.